Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. With another week of the Three and D Pod, I am your host Justin Lewis. As always, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Three and D Pod. We are part of the Grizzly Bear Blues family of podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And then we are at GrizzlyBearBlues.com. You can find me on Twitter at J underscore Timberfake underscore. I'm excited about this week's episode, as I am every week, but this week is different and special because our guest is one of our new hires uh, at Grizzly Bear Blues, and I'm very excited um, about this because he doesn't know that we have some things in common um, that he's going to discover on this podcast, but uh, I'm excited because of the work that he does with um, some video. So, introducing one of our new Grizzly Bear Blues senior writers, Eric Nelson. Eric, how are you? I'm good, Justin. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Um, so how has life been for you during all this uh, COVID nonsense? Um, man, I mean, it's it's hectic, just like everything. I mean, getting kicked out of, you know, my freshman year at college and having to move back home. And now I'm looking for a new house to rent and all those kind of things. It's just, it's it's crazy, but I'm just doing my best to keep moving forward every day yeah that's what we all have to do so why don't you tell everybody um where they can find you and your work on twitter and then we'll dive in all right so on twitter uh, you can find me at eric tweets nba that's just my main page that i use for my everyday stuff and then you can also find me at Grizzfilm on twitter that's where i do my film breakdowns of grizzlies games so how long have you been on twitter as eric tweets nba um, I think it was December 2015 that I joined. And you were how old? Uh, I would have been 15 years old. Okay, so you've you've been active on Twitter, uh, revolving around the NBA for a while. Yes, sir. Quite okay. some time. So, are you from Memphis? Uh, I am born and raised. So you've been a Grizzlies fan most of your life. Yeah. So um, the 2011 playoff run was really when I finally started paying attention. I was a Tigers fan growing up, really young. But, you know, the upset against the Spurs got me just hooked, and I've been along for the ride ever since. How often do you, were you able to get to, get, get to games before all it shut down? Um, not very often. Um, I think I went to four games this past season and then maybe t- about two or three games every season before that. I hear you. All right, so let's go, let's go back to that 2011 era. Mm-hmm. Um, 
who is your your favorite grizzly of all time outside of the core four? Outside of the core four, uh, it's got to be Vince Carter, which is a little bit ironic because he's blocked me on Twitter. But I always loved watching Vince Carter through the grit and grind era. But if we're going back to 2011, um, man, that's a tough one. I'd probably say Quincy Pondexter. I always just liked him. Not sure why. Yeah, I actually ended up on a, an elevator with uh, Coupon after a game one time. Really? Uh, yeah, he's a he's a nice dude. And I did see that you were blocked on Twitter by Vince Carter, and I had every intention of asking you about it. So you've <laughs> you got to tell us about that. So, all right. So he signed with the Kings uh, in 2017. I think it was for two years and $18 million. And so during that time on Grizz Twitter, there was a big discussion about how the Grizzlies should use the MLE and all that kind of stuff. And so I made a kind of backhanded comment towards Vince Carter talking about how, you know, the Grizzlies were probably right to not give him that amount of money, give him the full MLE. And so he, I guess, saw the tweet and blocked me for it, even though I had tweeted nothing but positive things before that about him. So you're telling me that Vince Carter is a little sensitive on Twitter? Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit, (laughs) but I would still love to be unblocked and maybe apologize for that tweet. That's that's surprising. I, I thought it'd be something a little bit worse than that. But if right. it's just I mean, if if it's just because he's a thirty eight year old getting the MLE, I understand. I agree with you. Right. So I mean, I, I was completely shocked when I found out about it. You have a little bit of clout for that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I that's that's something I kind of you know throw in when I meet new people. It's like, oh yeah, I'm blocked by an NBA legend on Twitter, <laughs> and it's, just, it's a good conversation starter. All right, so I told you you couldn't pick from the core four, but if I give you the core four as a choice, who is your favorite Grizz of all time? Mike Conley. That's without a question. Growing up as, you know, a smaller guy and trying to model my game after somebody, looking at Mike Conley as a, you know, composed, very patient player was something that I was able to really resonate with myself, building myself as a player, even though I really never amounted to anything. Uh, Mike Conley was always just my favorite because I could relate to him more than any other any other player. Yeah, my I think the the second jersey I ever owned was um, Mike Miller's um, Memphis Pros jersey, and mm. I want to say that I I modeled my game after him, um, but the reality is it's only because I'm white and I shoot threes. Yeah, uh, my favorite uh, Grizzly of all time. Um, it also wears number 33, but it was Mark Gasol. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's just because the way that he played the game, uh, his his basketball IQ um, and the way that he led that team with Mike. Um, I, and I think he may be the, the most talented Grizzly of all time as well. I know that's debatable amongst people, but I'm a, I'm a huge Mark fan. Um, my fanhood goes all the way back to uh, the days when the Grizzlies were – giving away tickets just to have butts and seats and yeah. sell concession stands money. And it was um, James Posey and Mike Miller and uh, Stromile Swift and, and those days. Um, yeah. Back so. before I was really old enough to, to care. Yeah, you ain't got to throw that out there. <laughs> All right, so what, um, what's driven you to get into the, uh, the sports media world, particularly with the NBA and the Grizzlies? So um, I have – professional dreams of being an NBA basketball coach. And so in my process of trying to learn as much about the game and trying to show that I know what I'm, what I'm talking about when I talk about basketball and when I'm breaking down film and stuff, 
I was inspired to start my Grizz film uh, page. And I'm sure you had more questions about that, but I'm going to just go pretty simply into this. So I started Grizz film because I really wanted to not only show that I know what I'm talking about, but also to really improve my own film breakdown skills and things like that. You know, if I look back at my old, you know, very first couple of breakdowns, they were really bad compared to what I've done more recently. And I've grown a lot with that, which was one of my goals. And I can do that at the same time that I can educate more of a casual Grizzlies fan so that they can recognize one or two plays out on the court that they might have not been able to recognize before going through some of my work. And I think that Grizzly Bear Blues is a really good place for me to continue to do that work and spread it to a wider audience. Yeah, and I'll give you this encouragement. Um, you know where um, Spolstra, Eric Spolstra started his career, right? He started in the film room. That is right. Um, yeah, I have similar aspirations. Um, I haven't really tagged NBA coach as the end game for me, but I have you know, recently told my wife that the goal for me is to be a college basketball coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started uh, early on. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be friends with Eric Hasselton. And um, he was able to get me in over at 92.9, uh, cutting the radio highlights. Um, and, you know, he just told me anywhere I can get my foot in the door um, is, a, is a place that I need to, to try. And then obviously I've moved off to Florida and had to walk away from that. And now I'm back in Mississippi coaching basketball at the high school level. Um, but that's an awesome dream uh, to go mm-hmm. after. And, you know, you're a freshman in college. You've got plenty of time uh, to, to drive towards that. And I've seen Grizz film. And if those listening, if you haven't seen it, you need to go check that out. Um, so tell me with, with Grizz film, uh, what kind of zoom in a little bit more on that. And what is the, uh, the main goal? What are your focuses? Um, how often do you do it? Just kind of give people a breakdown of that. So with Grizz film, what I really try to do with it is go deeper into certain set plays that the Grizzlies run, like plays that they run every game. I want to dive deep into that and show how it works and why they run it, why it is so effective, like certain, you know, a flare screenplay that they run for Jaron Jackson to get him open, you know, show why that works and those kinds of things, point out patterns and stuff within Grizzlies games and just really just try and help a more casual fan really understand what they're seeing out on the court and look at it more from a coach's perspective instead of a fan's perspective. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. I'm going to, I'm going to throw a player at you because it's a player that's under hot debate uh, amongst uh, Grizzly Bear Blues people. Um, what do you think about the shooting form of Dylan Brooks? The shooting form of Dylan Brooks. It's weird because it feels like his guide hand comes off a little bit early and something in his wrist is a little bit weird that I can't quite put my finger on, but it's, it's pretty solid. It's smooth. It's a good one motion shot. His alignment is good, but he has no touch on his shot. Like, I mean, it comes in a hundred miles an hour and I don't understand it. Um, but it, he is very consistent with it. So that definitely works in his favor and allows him to shoot very well from three, even if he can be a little streaky at times. He's, and I think, and this is, this is where I, I get into it with, with certain people who are, are huge Dylan Book friends because I'm not. Um, and my dislike of Brooks comes from the fact that he forces up some shots um, and he takes some shots away from 
um, at least three players that are better than him and should be taking more shots than him and Ja and Jaron and, and Jonas Valanciunas. Mm-hmm. But I, I would go as far to say, you know, what you're saying when his, um, his offhand comes off a little early, but his, his follow through is it almost comes off to the side. Yeah, um, he does drift a little bit. Like, uh, and it's not obviously not to the degree of where he's shooting like Joachim Noah, um, but he's not, you know, but a few ticks off from being that far over on the release. And I think it's, it's going to be hard for him to not be a streaky shooter and be more consistent if he can't get that wrist a little bit more under the ball with a, with mm-hmm. a straight follow through. But I agree with the rest. Like he, yep. he gets his shot up pretty quick. Um, it, it is one motion. There's not, there's not a tick in it. There's not a hook in it. Like Kyle Anderson's was last year. Um, I just, something with that form. And that's something that like, the like you're saying, the casual Grizzlies fan, they're not going to pick up on like, right. When they say they're just going to look at the box score and say, Oh, Dylan Brooks went one for 18 in this game. What's wrong with him? Well, if your form is kind of hard to reproduce, then this could be an explanation. This is what he would need to work on that kind of stuff. Um, and I particularly enjoy looking at stuff like Jaron Jackson's footwork on the perimeter defense and, mm-hmm. and, and finding those kind of things. And that's just something that I think it's awesome that you're, you're using your talents to to do that, and it's a great start. So let's go to what we have in common um, that you don't know we have in common. Yeah, I'm very curious to hear this. So I was scrolling through your Twitter. Um, I was very excited that you got you got hired. Um, I know when I found out you were applying, I was, I was rooting for you because I, I like your stuff. Um, you. But when I was, I guess, in a way, stalking your Twitter page, <laughs> um, I noticed that you coached in the Shelby League. Yes, I did. So did I. Really? Yes, but I was on the on the girls' side of Shelby uh-huh. League. I began my coaching career at Hutchison, mm-hmm. um, and I coached three seasons uh, for Hutchison. So where, what school were you at? So I was at Grace St. Luke's, that um, Episcopal, Episcopal school in Midtown right on Peabody. Yep, we played them. I remember them. And so I was working with um, the fifth and sixth grade varsity team the seventh and eighth grade JV team and the seventh and eighth grade varsity team. Um, my duties were all split between those three teams. I worked the most with the seventh and eighth grade JV team. I acted as head coach for a lot of their games because uh, I was, just, I was an assistant coach for all three of those teams, but the two head coaches, they would prioritize the seventh, eighth varsity games over the JV games, obviously. So me and my roommate at the time, we were both the assistant coaches and so we would split the head coaching duties for the JV team whenever the head coaches weren't able to attend the games. And so for all three of those teams, we ended up winning our championships in our respective leagues. Uh, so that was, I got a ring and everything. I'm very proud of that. Well, I wish I could say that uh, we won our leagues, but we, <laughs> Briarcrest had our number. Um, yeah. Something about what they feed those kids at Briarcrest. It's uh it was tough to take them down. Mm-hmm. Um, so, w- with all of this that you're you're aspiring for, you're you're now with Grizzly Bear Blues. Um, you're going to get this exposure. Um, if I'm correct, you're at the University of Memphis, right? Yes. So, what is your what's your plans uh, for your time at the University of Memphis? So, I'm majoring in uh, sport and leisure management. Um, mainly, I mean, there's not a major that you can go into for coaching, unfortunately. So uh, the sport and leisure management, I think, is the best way for me to make connections within the sports world. You, you brought up just getting your foot in the door wherever you could. 
I feel like that, that would be a great way for me to do that. Uh, I'm going to be taking a class this upcoming semester where I can get an extra credit hour for an internship. So we'll see how that goes with COVID and everything. I'm not sure how that will come to fruition. Um, but that is my plan moving forward and just getting my foot in the door wherever I can and just trying to work my way up in any organization that will take me. Are you going to try to be a uh, student manager for Penny's squad? That the demand for uh, a manager for Penny squad, even the women's team is ridiculously high. There was an open spot on the women's team uh, for a manager last summer. And I mean, it went by in a snap. I didn't even get to respond to the email before it was filled. So, wow. and it took just a few hours. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, and that's, that's kind of where my passion came from for coaching um, is I went to Blue Mountain College, which is a little NAIA school. Um, mm-hmm. But when I got there, um, I realized that I wasn't quite big enough to, to cl- play college basketball. Um, I could shoot well enough, but my defense just was not there. Um, and so I just – to be around the game still and be around those guys, um, I, I asked the coach if he needed a manager. And for three years of college, I was with the team and I was in practice every day and learning drills and, um, and just watching how things are done. And it just kind of sparked that, that fire. And um, while it didn't really lead to any immediate opportunity for me, um, it, the learning uh, was there. And so I would just encourage you to – to learn in every situation that you can. And um, it looks like you're doing that. You, it definitely sounds like you have a lot of drive and uh, we're, we're pumped to have you here at, at Grizzly Bear Blues for sure. Thank you. Uh, so let's, my best. Yeah. So let's talk about the Grizzlies, man. Um, All right. What, what most excites you about this team heading back into play uh, in a couple of weeks? I think it, I'm very interested to see, how they incorporate Justice Winslow and the kind of role that they decide to play him in. Uh, I feel like that they can use him almost in a Kyle Anderson role where he is a taller ball handler that can operate in the pick and roll and see above the defense more than John Morant can and let John Morant maybe just rest in the corner for a few plays and let him initiate the offense is what I would look to see from that. But I'm really interested to see what kind of tricks Taylor Jenkins pulls out of his bag for Winslow. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I don't know what from the, I guess, the videos that the Grizzlies Twitter's put up, how they're splitting up teams, but it almost looks like uh, at the moment, Winslow might be running with a second squad. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that means Kyle Anderson is still starting, I don't know quite how I feel about that. I understand that Anderson is probably our best on-ball defender outside of DeAnthony Melton. Um, but – he just doesn't fit what Jenkins is trying to do. Um, I, I think our record, though, with him starting at the three is actually pretty decent. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's something like a, 11 wins and three losses or something like that. I, th- I crazy. think you're right. I think, I think Kyle Anderson gets a little bit more hate from Grizzlies Twitter than he really deserves. He's just, I mean, he is a very slow player, but he's also very patient. So when he's able to work in his spots especially with the ball he's a very positive player even on the offensive end but you just have to get him in his spots correctly or else he'll just be a non-factor because or really a negative factor because if he's just standing in the corner you know teams are just going to play four on five basically and ignore him yeah it's tony allen and being guarded by andrew bogut in the in the playoffs all over again yep i mean anderson can't shoot to save his life and that's that's where the whole debate has come from about 
who is the 10th and 11th man. And that's, that's bumping Kyle down to 10 and 11 versus Josh Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, I guess it kind of calls for who you're playing against. Cause you don't, you don't know what's going to happen with, with this, with it being neutral floors and, um, the gyms, the setting in the background is going to be different. And that definitely affects shooters and um, the layoff. You're going to have rested players, but then, you know, it's going to be harder for the older guys to get those, those legs going again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I, I'm with you on, on the Winslow deal to see how that plays out. Does he start? Um, is, does he come off the bench? I like the idea of him starting with um, Morant and letting you know, Winslow take the ball up uh, to give, you know, Jaw a breather. That's, I mean, that's a, honestly a way how you can stretch Jaw's minutes a little bit more mm-hmm. is that if he's able to rest on the court. you got to be able to find those kind of moments as a coach. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, do you think that Jenkins needs to cut the rotation to eight or nine, or do we need to, in these seeding games, um, be running the 11 like he was? And, and that 11 even leaves out – Grayson Allen, who I think might be the purest shooter on the team. So, in the in the seeding games, I feel like that the rotation should probably be ten or eleven. I don't think that that should have too much of a change. But you know, it's very likely that the Grizzlies will be in a play-in series, probably against the Pelicans. You're going to have to narrow that down some because you're going to need John Morant out there for almost the entire game. You're going to need Jaron Jackson out there a lot, and so. Kyle Anderson probably is going to be the first guy that you slash minutes from. And maybe even slash some from Tyus Jones. They're going to definitely going to have to cut that down. Once you get more into a playoff atmosphere, you can't just stick with your regular season rotation. No, right. And Hey, when I was in high school um, for the, even the entire season, our coach told us from day one, we're running an eight man rotation. You got to crack that eight man rotation. And in the NBA, you see that very often in the in the playoffs where it does drop down uh, to eight man, and uh, I think that is really attributed to this front office of how it's not an easy choice to even mm-hmm. cut it to eight. Um, and in some series, there's going to be uh, the need for maybe Gorgie Dang to to not see the floor as much because of the size mismatch. Um, but in other series, such as the Lakers series, where they're going to have uh, as soon as JaVale McGee comes on the floor, Dwight Howard's coming on, and there's just going to be that constant size. And you don't want Brandon Clark trying to, to guard um, Dwight Howard, and you don't need Jaron running extended minutes at the at the backup five. So, right. you know, there's going to be series where uh, you got to go nine deep. But I, I think – because even – man, even John Conchar has, has proved valuable on the floor. So, like – there's 13 guys that you can put on the floor and they're not really going to hurt you. Like you're, you're obviously not going to play Guterich. Um, right. You're, you're probably not playing Watanabe. And I'd like to see Porter get some run just to kind of see what he can do against NBA guys so they can make a, you know, a more educated decision on his player option or his team option. Um, but when you've got 13 guys on the roster that you're comfortable with throwing out there, you know, hats off to this front office. And I mean, it's no fault on the Grizzlies or the NBA, obviously, but the fact that the seeding games for the Grizzlies specifically are also important, there is no room for error to try and give a guy like Jonte Porter or John Conchar some run just to see how he's going to play in this kind of environment. Because if they're bad, then you could potentially lose your eighth seed. 
so all these games are so important that it's just it's hard to find minutes for these guys to try and let them prove themselves. No doubt. It, it, when I talked with Hasselton on the last podcast I had him on, uh, that's we just we just chalked it up to these are playoff games for right. us. They're not seeding games. These are playoff games for these young guys, um, and it's going to be valuable experience. You, we can sit here and go zero and eight, fall out of the seeding game, but it would still be very very valuable for these young guys going into next season to just say, hey, we we. We know what it takes now. You know, we, we saw playoff Damian Lillard. We saw playoff Drew Holiday, and, and it's, they're different animals, and we've got to learn how to step it up. And um, It's definitely an important time, and, and I agree. You can't um, be looking here and there to find time for Jonte Porter. Hopefully, you, know, you can run away from somebody like the Spurs without LaMarcus Aldridge and find mm-hmm. some time for him. Um, hopefully, it's not the other way around where we're getting just blown out by somebody and you know, or hey, heck, maybe we can clinch um, something. And and there's say you clinch the spot in the play-in game, but there's now there's no way um, for you to not be in the play-in game and just clinch the eight seed outright. Then maybe that's the game where you're just like, all right, let's get these other guys some run. So I think the last three games might be an opportunity because that's against Toronto, Boston, and Milwaukee, I believe. Probably not in that order, but those three teams and. Those three teams very well may have already secured their seed by that by the time that the Grizzlies get the opportunity to play them. So we don't know if we're going to see a Giannis Antetokounmpo or a Jason Tatum playing in those games. And so those might be games where the Grizzlies might be able to run away early in the game and get a guy like Jonte Porter some minutes. Those would be the three games that I'd be looking for more other than, you know, the five previous games. Yeah, no doubt for sure. All right, so as we wrap up, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to make a couple predictions, and then we'll we'll get out of here. The first one being, will John Morant win Rookie of the Year? Yes. How close do you think it will be? It's not close. Zion Williamson has not played enough games. If Zion had played the same amount of games as John Morant, I feel like Zion would be the front runner. But right now, I just don't see any way that John Morant can lose this. Yeah, and so what I think is happening with that is is that ESPN and Twitter push Zion, but I think the sports writers have all pretty much unanimously said that it's John Morant's to win. All right, what is the Grizzlies predicted by Eric Tweet's NBA eight-game record in the seeding games? So when the schedule first came out, I said five and three. I think that they're going to go – Two and one in their first three, and they're going to split the middle two, and then two and one in their last three is how I broke it up then. And I think I'm going to stick by that. Five and three. Yes, I like five and three. I think two and one in that first stretch is crucial. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that has to happen. Um, You're obviously the the must win of those three is San Antonio, uh, the Mm -hmm. the weakest squad that we're going to face. And then um, I I feel like if you beat, if you come out and beat, the Trailblazers' first game, not only are you putting a dagger in their heart because their, their schedule is brutal, right. uh, you also had that motivation or that momentum uh, going into the next game. Uh, you don't want to come out and drop that first one um, and then there's start to be some type of doubt or panic. And I don't think that this team necessarily is going to do that, but it's always there with young guys. Um, I agree with the split between, uh, what's it, the Thunder and – Who's the other team? 
Mm. I'm not sure. You want me to look it up real quick? It's another Western Conference team, the Thunder of the Jazz. Yeah, that's um, right. I, I think that a split is pretty obvious there for me as well. And then um, I, I've kind of been singing at a different tune with the last three games. Seeding doesn't matter as far as home court anymore, right. obviously. So I think what's going to happen with Boston and Toronto – depending on what goes on with Miami and Philly, because Philly has a stupid easy schedule too, they're going to be jockeying to be on the other side of the bracket from the Bucks, And so you may see somebody throw a game here that benefits them to stay away from the Bucks until the, the conference finals. Um, I don't fully believe that after being off for three months that we're going to see – them necessarily just sit guys because they've clinched a seat either. I just don't know because they've gotten rest. But then also it is eight games in like 15 days. Um, so that is a lot of basketball, and they probably would need that rest going into it. Um, so I, I'm not fully confident. I think the Bucks one will be a win um, mm-hmm. just because I th- I, they're going to be the one seed. There's no advantage of them, you know, running Giannis out there and getting him hurt. Right. Um, you might see him play 20 minutes that game. Maybe. Yeah, and, and I think that may be what happens with all three of those games. We may see their full squad, but it may be for the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, just so those guys are still kind of getting back into the flow of NBA basketball, getting ready for the playoffs. Um, and then, you know, all right, we're going to rest them now. Um, so I, I'm all right with a 2-1 with a split there, too. I agree with you. Five and three is the number. Um, and so that means – that if they – I think five is that magic number. Actually, I think three is the magic number for them to win and be in the play-in game. I think um, so, too. Uh, if they, it's either if, three or four. Yeah, I think it's three because they're three and a half up. And so that you put them at uh, – if they only win two, which would blow my mind if that happened, um, then two other teams I think would have to win six mm-hmm. um, to, to get past them. So, like, we're looking at a play-in game for sure. Yeah. Who do you think our biggest threat is? Uh, without a doubt in my mind, it's New Orleans. I think that they match up really, really well against the Grizzlies. But they've already beaten them twice. They have a seeding game against them, and then they're going to have to beat the Grizzlies two more times in a row. So New Orleans is definitely going to want to be winning that Grizzlies game in the seeding game. So are they going to be able to beat the Grizzlies a total of five times in a row without a loss to be able to get to the eighth seed? I I don't see it. I mean, that I rarely happens. I don't uh, see it, but, you know, I have looked back at the film of those Pelicans games, which, to be fair, both of the games against the Pelicans were marred by injuries. But they match up really well against the Grizzlies. I, I, I am a little bit scared of the Pelicans. They're definitely a talented squad. They have an easy schedule. Um, I like our chances to win one game right. um, out of three or two. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about the Sacramento Kings because it seemed like they started to figure things out at the end of the season. They were probably the hottest team of the teams chasing Memphis coming into it, and they are being severely overlooked by everybody, so that team's going to be a little bit motivated. Uh, but it seems like I don't that they were having coronavirus parties because it, it's like their whole team yeah, it's four of them now since Harrison Barnes tested positive. Yeah, and then Kelly Oubre tricked Rashawn Holmes to go out and uh, <laughs> out of the quarantine or whatever in, in the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, I, Sacramento scares me a little bit. New Orleans obviously does uh, because they do. They are loaded roster, um, and they've got somebody like JJ Redick who's been through war uh, plenty of times. Um, but I, I think we get into the playoffs, and I honestly think that we give the Lakers a run for their money. So in a seven game series, how many wins do you think we can take against Los Angeles? One. I think it'd be a really fun five game series. I think we can push them six. I mean, we, really? the last time we played them, we beat them pretty handily, and they were at full strength. Like, they didn't have somebody that was out due to injury. Like, they were full squad. And now they're without Rondo, which isn't that big of a hit, but also A.V. Bradley. And mm-hmm. then you're going to bring in, you know, probably a washed-up J.R. Smith, although rested, and then Dion Waiters. I, now, obviously, I don't think at any point in that series – there's going to be a, a minute of play that either Anthony Davis or LeBron James both will be off the floor. Um, one of them will be on the floor at all times mm-hmm. based on the rotations. But I, we just have more depth than they do. Like, granted, the way that Joe Molnax put it, LeBron and AD count for two players apiece almost because of how talented they are. But our, our bench – is is much deeper than theirs and I think we can we can push them now if I do agree it's gonna be a fun series even if it goes five like it's gonna be a lot of fun because I think we're gonna push them but it's gonna be a three-month rested playoff LeBron so who knows what happens yeah so I mean I and specifically in the game that the Grizzlies won against the Lakers LeBron was really lazy when it came to help defense on the weak side you're not going to see that from playoff LeBron, I don't think. And I think that that was a big reason that they lost that game is because almost the whole t- team for the Lakers just feeds off of the activity of LeBron James. If LeBron James is being active, so is the rest of the team. And I don't think that we're going to see an inactive LeBron James. But I think that the Grizzlies will steal one. I think that John Morant or somebody is going to get hot, have a good game, and they're going to steal one in a close game. I just want to see Jaw and his 12 extra pounds just in somebody in the playoffs. That's all I want to see. Yeah, maybe he'll actually get that dunk over Anthony Davis this time. Exactly what I'm thinking. All right, well, Eric, you want to say anything as we sign off? Uh, I'm just really excited for the opportunity to come here on Grizzly Bear Blues and make some fun content. Really looking forward to the opportunity that I've been given. Yeah, man, we're excited to have you. I'm looking forward to working with you some more. Uh, Definitely we'll have you back on – Uh, the podcast for sure all right thank you yeah all right for eric this is justin and this has been another episode of the three and d podcast